0: You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings and the Hockey Podcast Network. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN at sign up for exclusive offers. 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs underway. It's uh, the best time of year if you are a hockey fan for sure. And uh, this podcast is titled Dynasty by Decade and it's presented by DraftKings. My name is Rick Stevens. I'm the host of the Canadians Connection podcast and joining me is a former first round pick of the Montreal Canadiens. He's host of Tales by TR podcast. His name is Terry Ryan. Good morning, Terry. I'm thrilled to be with you on this special DraftKings podcast
1: yeah I am uh, as well uh, thanks for that Rick Uh, it's good to be here with you and uh, talk hockey especially uh, Habs because as you know uh, I didn't just play there I've always been a fan
0: you have been a fan. I uh, actually grew up in a in a Leafs household and made the break when I was four years old. So uh, to the Canadians, been a fan. And and uh, um, for those that don't know, as I said, I'm the, the host of the Canadians Connection podcast. You have Tales by Tr. Both of our podcasts are on the uh, Hockey Podcast Network, and those good folks, along with DraftKings, has brought have brought us together for this special podcast. Uh, It's called Dynasty by Decade because um, we're going to be looking back at uh, a playoff, uh, the playoffs of the 1970s. And uh, uh, in the 1970s, it was an era that was, well, it was dominated by the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal Canadiens winning six Stanley Cups in the 1970s. Um, And then the Philadelphia Flyers and the Boston Bruins had two cups each um we've we've picked out uh two years uh t- two stanley cup winning years for the canadians that we want to talk about that's the 1971 uh stanley cup 1970-71 season and then jump ahead to the the 75-76 so uh, we'll talk about 70-71 in uh segment one in segment two we'll go on to 75-76 um it won't give too much away, but two very different looking teams to d- different looking rosters, and there's reasons for that, and we'll we'll get into that. Um, but just to give you some context of of um, that that decade and looking at that 70,71 win, um, the Canadians had won uh, the Stanley Cup in 1968, 69, 69 season. that was uh, John Beliveau was coach, uh, Claude, uh, uh, sorry, John Beliveau was captain, uh, Claude Ruel was, uh, uh, coach. Uh, and then that following year, the 69-70 season, um, they finished, they had 92 points in that season, um, but that left them for a, a tie with the, the, uh, the Rangers, the Rangers won the, the tiebreaker. And the Canadians missed the playoffs um, for the first time since 1948. So Sam Pollock, general manager, general manager extraordinary that he was, went to work and kind of remade that roster. Um, Sent Dick Duff, um, hardworking clutch player, to Los Angeles. Gump Worsley was, I think he was about 40 years old at the time, sent him to the Minnesota North Stars. Um in the off season Bobby Russo left, Ted Harris, uh defensive specialist Claude Provo, he left and um and he started uh, uh, uh Sam Pollock started remaking this 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 roster. Um and so we get to the to the 70 71 season. What was going on there? That was that was the final season for uh, Jean Beliveau, he's 39 years old, um, and uh, he would retire at the end of that season. Um, he he retired uh, with his final Stanley Cup. Um, the The season started out with uh, Claude Ruel as as coach again, but uh, Sam Pollock wasn't seeing what he liked. So by December, he had made a change and moved to. Uh, Al McNeil called up Al McNeil um, to replace Ruel, um, and during the season, um, he added uh, Frank Mahovlich. Frank Mahovlich uh, coming over from Detroit at that time. Detroit was was uh, a team kind of in turmoil, and and uh, a star there. And uh, Sam Pollock sent three guys to to uh, to Detroit. Uh, in Mickey Redmond, Guy Schroen, Bill Collins, all went to Detroit. Brought back Frank Mahovlich, who would play a big role, and and who was um, united with his his brother Pete. But the 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 big piece, uh, and it came it came towards the end of the season, was adding Ken Dryden, and uh, Ken Dryden finished. Uh, finished the season playing six games for the Canadians. And then, uh, it was Al McNeil who made the bold decision to start, um, Ken Dryden for that, that playoff series. So, uh, when you, when you think back and you hear those names and, and, uh, you think about, you know, those guys that were, Gila point was a rookie that season. Um, and, uh, what what's what's your kind of thoughts on on uh, on those players, on those memories, um, on on what happened during that 70, season?
1: Well, the first one would definitely be Dryden and the series against Boston. Yeah. Uh, being the first round. I don't remember what Boston had, but they finished way ahead of the Canadians. And when people look back, I think a couple things are underrated in the Canadians history, especially in the 70s. Um, one, one is, you know, they had to be fairly tough. They were coming into an era. We'll talk about that more in the next segment, though. Uh, but I, I do think that not, not only like fist, I mean, like they, they started to be very team tough. They came together. There was a camaraderie. That people think is like always consistent with one with the Montreal Canadians, but still they had ups and downs in their history, right? There were flaws. There were cracks in the armor, and they I found each time that they resurged, it, it seemed to be amongst a group that were real, real tight. Uh, and having so so I guess my dad being a Canadians fan. And, and that being the first Canadian series that I, I'd seen. And when I say that, they had the highlights on. I didn't see the whole series. They used to have, the, you know, the VHS tapes. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: an, an easy example would be the Rock'em Sockem's They come out every year now. But there used to be other ones that would show uh, little clips of, of the past. You know, I never... There was a Bobby Orr one, and it was just great. I, I watched it a thousand times. I couldn't believe how much better he looked than everybody else. Um. But the Ken Dryden, because the Canadians in that ser in that that season, yeah, people forget looking back. They're the, always the mighty Canadians, but they came in as a huge underdog. Oh yeah, and uh, they won in five or six, or was it six games? I guess I could just <laughs> look it up. But uh, I think they, I think the Canadians won the first round in six games,
0: seven games, and
1: uh, there was, yeah, th- there was a lot of uh, there was unique their whole path was unique because then I believe they ran into Minnesota. And, uh, am I wrong there? No, you're, they you're mid- right. Uh, they, yeah, they
0: won the first series in seven second, second against Minnesota was six games.
1: And that would have been, you know, just put yourself in that time. So the, it, it would have, because Minnesota North stars were a fresh team. You know, they were part of expansion. The Canadians right. were coming off, you know, for the most part, uh, the, the the six team league the original six as they call it this was all new and so you know a team like Minnesota to play Montreal and I the Montreal there were a few flaws there too they nearly dropped the ball and then they get against get in against Chicago who people forget because they didn't win many Stanley Cups back then I don't know when their last one was before that I forget but you know they had a wicked team Very good. so I I I just so a lot of my early memories as a Habs fan were created there because even though there wasn't much footage there was way more than there was like you could it was really hard to find anything on rocket richard you know like even now you can find some stuff but there just wasn't as many things recorded so you know, it would have been the '80s for me, and those were started to be you know defined as classic times. So I remember seeing a lot of those highlights, and it's how I knew Phil Esposito and Paul Henderson or any of those people, right? So first of all, that that would be the beginning of my fandom to the Habs. But second of all, yeah, my but the team that I played on uh, in in Montreal, '96, uh, '97. I was drafted in '95, but in '96, '97. Um. I was 19, and Mario Tremblay, who'd end up, you know, playing with the Habs later in the 70s, uh, uh, he, he didn't want to send me back to junior. I, I believe that if, if you were allowed to go to the American League when you were 19, I would have gone, but you weren't. It was either junior or the NHL, and our team wasn't going to do very good. I, I guess he he figured that my personal statistics were good enough for his eyes the year before, their, their eyes the year before, and... I could probably improve more by practicing in the NHL. So in 96, 97, even though it says three or four games played, I can't remember which, but I, I was there almost all year. I get sent back at the deadline to junior in February to Red Deer, who Tri-City had traded, uh, you know, that that's another story, but it traded me. But uh, so my, you know, I practiced a lot. And Yvonne Cormier was my assistant coach, uh, Steve Shutt, who had come in later, I believe, I'm not sure if he was on the 70-71 team, but uh, he was, you know, part of that dynasty. Rayjean Houle, he was the GM. He was on that team. Uh, Jacques Perrier was uh, one of our assistant coaches. He was on that team. Serge Chavard was the GM who drafted me, who who was there before Rayjean. So a lot of these guys. Ken Dryden, I met him a few times. He was starting to come on the scene, you know, as a, politician and author and all that. So I I, I, I was always aware of him. And I, and I remember, I don't think he'd remember meeting me, but I, I distinctly remember meeting him. Uh, so, you know, that wasn't only part of my past then. It, it, it started to become part of my present, you know? Like, now I look back, what was that uh, 24 years ago? Well, that was in 96, 97. So 24 years before that would have been right when those guys were in that time. So, you know, it really, it almost blows my mind to look back and realize the time and place that I was in because um, those are my first memories of my favorite team, which just happens to be one of the most successful teams in sports. And I would have known that when I was young. It was just that it was an influence because it was on in the, in the house all the time.
0: So uh, yeah and I, I guess that's uh, it's a good point to, to try and uh, set the context of, of that era because the, the Canadians didn't arrive in the 70s and blow everybody away um, it, it, it just it just wasn't like that it was as you said the Bruins were were a powerhouse and and um, Phil Esposito and Bobby Orr and and uh, Wayne Cashman and John Busick and uh, Johnny Busick and and um, I mean, Phil, Phil Esposito in in that 70, 71 season, seventy six goals in seventy six games. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Bruins had one hundred and twenty one points to finish the the season in seventy eight games. Um, the Canadians were ninety seven points, uh, almost twenty five points back. The, the interesting part for me was um, looking at uh, the the goals that they well, but the differential. The Bruins scored 399 goals. Uh, they had 399 goals, 207 against. They had a differential of 192. Um, they were expected to just steamroll everybody else. Um, and the, not that the Canadians were a bad team. Um, and when you 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 look at the the lineup, um, you know, Yvonne Cornway, who you mentioned, 37 goals. John Bellavo led. Uh, with point 76 um, uh,
1: 76 points Esposito had 76 six goals. goals Okay, keep going.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rogi Vashon and and um, the backup was Phil Muir I think. Um, but, but this was a, this was a team that was uh, had just come off of uh, you know missing the playoffs um, had had some pretty proud veterans, John Bellavo you had Frank Mohovich joining that leadership team. Um, and then, uh, you know, some, um, Henri Richard was, was there. And, and as you mentioned, uh, on the back end, uh, La Perriere and Savard, um, and, and Guy Lapointe and, and, uh, this, this was, a an interesting roster, but they, you know, it was, it was, a a team that, that came together at the right time with the right people and, and Ken Dryden uh, was unbelievable. Those six games, uh, you know, he came up from from Halifax. It, well, it was it was um, that year they it was kind of an odd thing. It was the they were called the Voyageurs, but they it, they split time between Halifax. They played some home games in Halifax, some in Montreal, but. Um, Ken came up from, from the Voyagers and, and kind of a bold decision by McNeil um, to, to then start him uh, in the playoffs, but um, against the Bruins. Uh, and and I, th- I think when you think about the 71 uh, series, um, you kind of forget that, that two, other, two other series came after the Bruins because everybody remembers the huge upset Um, and it was, the the Bruins uh, won the opener three to one, uh, Cheevers was, was, um, was great. Um, but for whatever reason, well, I guess they had kind of uh, flip flop goalies all, all season wrong, all, throughout the regular season. So, um, in goes, uh, Eddie Johnston for the, the second game. Um, Bruins were winning handily. It was, uh, 5 to 1 towards the end of the second period. Uh, Cornway uh, scores late, make it 5 2. And then uh, it's, it's, it's Richard, it's Belleville, it's Mahavalic, Jacques Lemaire. Um, and they win that, that second game 7 5. Unbelievable. Um, you know, the game go, the series goes seven games, but, uh, it wasn't easy, but I think, I think it was that second game, uh, the Canadians coming down coming back from a five, one deficit that, that really, that, 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 uh, you know, the, the Bruins were used to intimidating teams, um, and, uh, with, with both skill and grit, uh, but I think that kind of put some doubt in their minds. And uh that was that was me looking back at it, that's gotta be the turning point of the series.
1: And yeah, I remember this like so again, coming from my eyes, I saw and you know how people would like burn off VHS tape and, and so I saw like it was a mishmash. Someone had a like a mixtape put together, and it was like you know the playoffs from the seventies. So my memory, the well the the Bruins coming in and how great they were, Esposito, and I, I remember like distinctly that Bob uh, Bobby Orr in one of those games had a hat trick, uh, and and I don't think it had ever been done at least not according to the narrator on the tape I was watching. I think he was the first uh, defenseman to score a hat-trick in the playoffs. And uh, it was, um, what's the word? It it, it was almost, it was odd for me, going back on my first point, how do I explain this? If you can believe it, I must be the only person ever to think, because when I was watching it, you know what I mean? It, It explained how good Boston were and, and how Montreal like kind of limped into the playoffs, I I was thinking like th- this these Montreal Canadians you know I'll go with them because they're an underdog like Buffalo now like that that's what I was thinking <laughs> if you can believe it with everybody around me with all these Habs things and everybody but I just didn't understand the Stanley Cup or success or any of that <laughs> till I could watch so, you know and I I understood the Mount Pearl Junior Blades are going for the provincial championship and I can go up and watch but. I knew a lot of people had played for the Canadians in some names that I remembered, but I didn't really even understand that the Stanley Cup was all one league. I thought you could just play for it. You know, I thought the Mount Pearl Senior Blades could play for it, like the (laughs) FA Cup in the Premier League, something like that. I I didn't really understand. So, um, watching that series, I mean it too. I won't say my introduction to hockey, but that was my introduction to like the NHL kind of thing how it got etched in my mind so it was all those players but at the time if you were to watch that tape it seemed as if the the most dynamic players in the world were Bruins and the Canadians came in and you know through grit and determination and if you look at the stats it almost mirrors that but you know, looking back, look at and some of those guys were young. You know, they had they had four, five more cups to win that decade. They became legends, but a lot of them at that point weren't. You know, like they, they, they weren't yet. They, you, but when you you look back and you put them all in this category, like you would put the Oilers, you know, of those group. at the, at first, the Oilers lost to the to the Islanders, and I don't think the Oilers because they came over in such a unique m- manner from the WHA. I don't know if they were ever underdogs during that time like the Canadians that year, you know? Right. Like that particular year, 1970-71, was a really uh, a unique year, not just for the Canadians, but for hockey in general. And for my introduction, it was almost bizarre looking back. My, my uh, worldview of the hockey world, at least, <laughs> was flipped upside down. Because I figured, you know, I'll jo- I'll join the perennial losers, the Montreal Canadiens, <laughs> who underdogged it out, who won, you know. <laughs> I just didn't know. <laughs> well, but, you know, I was seven or eight years old,
0: and your worldviews changed since then. Um, one of the things that, um, and it's always interesting when you go back and look, is is um, is how this uh, uh, expansion uh, happened and um uh, you know they they in the east uh, was most of the um the the traditional uh, um um original six teams uh it was boston the rangers canadians the leafs red wings um and they added in uh vancouver and buffalo on the other side, in the West, it was one original six team in Chicago, uh, and then all the, the expansion teams, Minnesota, Philadelphia. Is that,
1: so did that have anything to see? I'm foggy on all this. It makes sense what you're saying. I knew those teams came into the league, but I didn't know how it was split up. So um, did that have something to do, like do critics look back and say, oh, that, that was Chicago's path? Because Chicago... I'm looking. I mean, they had some big time names, but you know, it's just an era that I'm not sure. The the, the, the story I just told you with the Bruins and the Habs uh, surprised me. Like as I got older, looking back at the context of it all, but like Chicago, you know, what was their deal? Were they always good, or did they just go through a knife through butter because the other teams were expansion?
0: Well, they 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 had a they they had a, a, a pretty darn good team, underrated, I think, um, in terms of uh, Bobby Hall and and uh, Stan Makita. And, but when you look at their division, um, and, and, uh, you know, Chicago ended up with, with 107 points, uh, 15 points back of the Bruins, uh, who took the East, uh, and then St. Louis, um, you know, was second. They would have, they would have been fourth in the, in the East, um Philadelphia Minnesota made the pla they wouldn't have made the the cut in, in in the East and you had California and Pittsburgh and Los Angeles way down um yeah they they weren't good teams so um well you know this
1: on on, on a side note it's sort of cut you off but I think that's that's why looking back there's so much unique like think of how good the, the, the Chicago Blackhawks were had they just won one of those years they would be but they are underrated they're underrated yeah. because they got upset and they got beat and 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 you know i i'm I, looking at the 70s the teams who won it i'm guessing multiple of those years minus when you know hall goes over to the wha or whatever but they still were stacked though they were still stacked and they never really pulled one out and you know maybe that's one of the reasons they had uh, dennis hall had 60 odd points i'm looking now i didn't realize he had 40 goals you know they got god pat stapleton i'm going down these guys were a good team but uh, maybe i'm jumping the gun here but i was curious on that point go ahead
0: no for, no that's that's great that's that's to, to add and, and this this the context is is really important when you look at the uh, even the makeup of of uh, the montreal canadians at that point and, and that team um, you know, we haven't talked about the 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 players who added the the grit to that 70 71 team. Yeah. Um, Pete Mohavlich, uh Mark Tardiff, um Terry Harper on the back end. Tough, tough, stay-at-home defense. So,
1: yeah, people way those guys are way underrated. John Ferguson.
0: <laughs> you yeah. know. Um John Ferguson, a tough guy who could play. Um he could and uh, again Mahavlech like
1: god it, see the name yeah, the names are so synonymous with winning and, and, and you know with and with people say you know the the old flying frenchman but P- for every one of those flying frenchman teams you see they had guys like they if, it's hard to shake that rep if you got guys like Cormier and then LaFleur and these guys but like they were always tough they had to be and again I don't want to get premature but we're going to talk about the late 70s teams in a second or, or at least one of them and you know that they had to usurp the, the Philadelphia Broad Street Bullies for that to happen and you can't be purely finesse or you you need a whole lot more than flying frenchman for that but you know which is a compliment to be called that. People say it because they were so good and so sure. skilled, but man, were they tough, you know? And and I don't mean just drop your gloves tough. No. I mean, you didn't want to go in the corner. And all of a sudden, if you combine each guy that had that kind of grit um, with, you know, now a team sense of, you know, camaraderie and that we can do it, it's dangerous.
0: You got to be tough to play against. And, and, um, you know, for a for a, a, a playoff series it's it's uh, more so now uh, there was only three series back then but still it, it it's it's a marathon and you need the guys uh like Pierre Bouchard like uh, John Ferguson like Terry Harper that are going to soften up your your opposition um and and Make space for, uh, as you said, those flying Frenchmen, the Cornways, and Jacques Lemaires, and and uh, Henri Richard to do their thing.
1: Totally, I, I I think, I think the design of their team now is kind of going that way. You know, I think for a while they did it went, and and I'm not saying you, you've got to. You know, because I dropped my gloves in the past, I'm I'm not saying that you need a bunch of people that are going to do that. But you need people, I guess they're going to stick up, and once in a while that's going to happen. But you know, kind of tough in the corner, like Shea Weber. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. how much he drops his gloves. I don't know who wants to do that with him. He's a big, big tough guy, but he's a tough guy to play against. And you know, and they got they got more and more of that. I love uh, this Anderson kid too, and even guys like Toffoli scores so much because he goes to those areas. And I don't, you know, so. In my mind now, it's it in, in relative terms because obviously we're talking the 70s Canadians are amongst the best ever. But I just mean like the design in Montreal now is, is similar because they, they continue to be underrated that way. Like people are going in the playoffs and uh, talking about, you know, that the Leafs have added some grit this year and they did and I, it's going to help them. But the Canadians also did. And it's it's not always, you know, that you have to add someone that has – 40 fights in a season it, it, it's just this teamed tough and when i look down the lineup of the much canadians uh i think it's funny un- until we spoke i hadn't actually looked down and looked at all the lineup and even guys that like i often say you know when when, when calgary won the cup People in in I'm dating myself obviously, but again these are my formative years growing up. And the Habs won it in '86, and the Canadian or uh, Flames won it in '89. If you're a Canadian hockey fan, that's two out of four years. You know we're never getting them anymore now. So you know I I remember everything about the Canadian runs. And people wouldn't put, like, Theo Fleury in that category. And I'm going, he doesn't fight, but that guy's a killer. Oh, yeah. Like, he's tough. He's going into all those corners. He's coming out. He's playing with, with stitches. He, that's what I mean. So, like, um, you don't have to be getting a lot of penalty minutes. Just just go to the right areas and, you know, you, uh, uh, show me every guy that, every Alexi Ashen that's out there for a contract <laughs> and, and, and doesn't, you know, is kind of scared of his shadow. I hate to put down guys that are so skilled and played so long but because I feel that, you know, I played against them and there's a reason they were so good. But look, I, I, I think that, you know, the, Yashin had a lot of skill and, and, and speed, and but you can combine that with a guy like Ivan Cormier. No one insulted Yvonne. I'm looking for in relative terms a skilled guy with speed. But he'd go to those hard areas and he'd whack you if you whacked him. And, you know, the, that catches on. And I think that There was definitely an underrated thing about the Canadians in 19. Put it this way. Bruins could be as good as they were going to be. I wouldn't like to see that team coming, you know. And then that's the other thing when you're the Bruins, you're so successful. And when the expectations are so high and the other team knows that it's not and we're just a bunch of dogs and we know that we can go out and do this. And if you look back, Rick, if you look back, I'm telling you, I remember it. I haven't seen it in years I don't know if you might be able to see it on YouTube clips, but I remember distinctly watching those highlights and Bobby Orr giving the puck away. He wasn't yeah. the same Bobby Orr that I saw on the other... Like, I remember two or three times, he was the last guy back. And that little move that I saw on his highlight tape wasn't working. Uh, and and I, I know that, to me, you know, you're only going to see the highlights, right? It, it's like, I, I, I love... Um, who, who was my favorite, you know, to grow up? I, I guess overall, maybe Mario Lemieux, watching him go around the ice and, you know, with that wingspan like an albatross and make those moves, and I just found it amazing. But you're not, you're not going to see the ones that he gave it away. You know, they're they're great players, and the, what lasts is these, you know, the highlight goals and everything. And I'm not saying either player had many flaws. They're like A and B, you know, with, with, along with the Rocket and maybe five, five or six more, you know, are the best ever. But I'm just saying... I've never seen Bobby Orr get his pocket-picked like I did in that series, and the footage is out there if you want to go watch.
0: Well, the, the great example of that is, I was talking earlier about that, Game 2 in, in the, in the uh, canadians Bruins series, the quarterfinal game, um, and Canadians winning that 7-5. Third period, um, I, I, I don't remember which goal it was, but it was uh, Bobby Orr doing his little dance, and he got his pocket picked by Jacques Lemaire. and uh, Lemaire, uh scored maybe the fourth goal. I don't, or Maybe there was the tying goal, um, but it yeah, was. Yeah. yeah, you know, it was. It was uh, the the Canadians using their their skilled guys, um, and and using, you know, Pima Hovlich, uh, I, I'm way see, uh, way I way underrated. Way underrated. Wait, one of
1: the one of the most underrated players, I think ever ever and uh, largely due to the fact that he was behind so many greats you know it was really you look back and you know it, 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 all the Habs jerseys at the time I'm sure all the kids I mean he was there but there was so many other players that you know were legends that had, or you know the rocket wasn't playing but it was still that kind of area he was still lit le- and it gets lost in the shuffle this Mohavlic I've often said it man he was way way underrated
0: absolutely and and he was also living in the shadow of, of his brother Frank yeah. you know particularly yeah. when Frank was a star before he came to Montreal but particularly when he came to Montreal uh it was it was it was Frank Mahovlich and i read that um Frank Mahovlich i said he he was traded from from Detroit but um he came to when he came to the canadians um it, it was uh it was a game in Minnesota. The Canadians were on the road, so um, he, his Frank Mahovlich's number was twenty-seven. Um, they didn't have a twenty. They were on the road, and at that point, you know, you, you, you the the numbers are stitched on. It, it wasn't like it is today, where you just you know put it in a press and 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 make a jersey. So they didn't have a twenty-seven for him on the road in Minnesota. So uh, the equipment manager, one of the guys that was traded. What did I mention uh, Sharon and, and Mickey Redmond and, and Bill Collins? Well, Bill Collins won number t- wore number 10. So, uh, equipment manager says, Well, okay, uh, until we get back to Montreal, this is what I got for you um, wear number 10. So, it turns out that if, if, if you ask the question, who is the last Canadiens player to wear number 10 before Guy Lafleur? and of course, uh, the number since been retired. It was Frank Mahovlich for one game, but it was Frank Mahovlich who wore number ten, um, which was <laughs>
1: which was. I'm, I'm writing down that note right now.
0: I know it's um, fascinating, right?
1: It's, it's a, yeah, that's a great piece of trivia. My the guest on my podcast last week was Liam Maguire. He's like the world. Oh,
0: he's the best.
1: Yeah, he's the best. So I'm going to bring that up. Um, and I tell you a quick little Pete Mahovlich story, man. So about four or five years ago, whenever it was that. Gordie Howe passed away. I was in Toronto, and once in a while, like I said, I, I, I don't want to say, I I, I guess you could say stand-up comedy. But I use that term loosely because I, I got into it, and, you know, it was kind of out of my element. There's a guy uh, in Canada, Jerry D. Who's, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got a show, Mr. D. He's a really funny guy. He's well, he'd read my book called Tales of a First Around Nothing, <laughs> And he thought some of the stories were all right, so he said, "You know, you can come and open for me in a few gigs across Canada." And it, like, you know, that that's unbelievable <laughs> that that even happened. So, but again, so I don't want to say stand up comedian because I don't get up and like, you know, <laughs> go to, what's the deal with airline peanuts? None of that. It's, it's <laughs> you know, I tell some hockey stories. So Dale Howard had gotten wind of this. So, and I was in Toronto for the summer. I I was here. Uh, there wasn't. I was working in the film industry in a couple of. our films and gotten shut down for the summer so I didn't know what to do and we talked earlier hence you know the podcast and the next book and all that stuff but at the time I was like you know I gotta figure out a way so I said I'll go up and a uh, I, I way to supplement my income when I'm saying I work in the film industry but that happens like four and five months at a time and then there are big breaks so I'd go up to Toronto and, and you know sometimes maybe go into Sportsnet and do a little thing on primetime with Bob or, or I'd uh, go and do a background acting gig. I do some acting or whatever it might be. I could find work up there. So that's, that's kind of how it all started. So Dale Howard, gets wind of it and he calls me and he said, I got this golf tournament charity tournament out in M- Muskoka and it's all these legends. And it was like, there, there was 18 ex NHLers, you know, one head in each hole. And, and most of them were in the hall of fame kind of thing. Uh, there was a few younger guys uh, for comic relief to get up and tell a story. Me, PJ Stock, and Ken Reed uh, from Sportsnet. Yeah. He was there,
0: so Ken, and I, Ken
1: was MCing, and then uh, yeah, yeah, Ken's got wicked books. He's one of my best buddies. So Ken actually wrote the forward to my my second book, which just came out in October, and it called uh, "Fights or Tales with Tr Fights, Film, and Folklore." So. Ken, and this is fluke. We didn't hook this up together. I just happened to go up there and Ken was up there. I was loving it. So he was the MC. you know, after we came in and, and uh, it was t- two or three nights. And so we'd get up then, uh, Ken would do his thing. And after everybody had eaten, I'd get up and do my quote unquote stand up, which like I said, it, it, it's, uh, I, I, now it's public speaking, right? I go somewhere and I get hired for like hockey banquets, things like that. Uh, I'm always cautious to say stand-up comedian because I know how hard they work and I know some would even get insulted if I said that because, you know, they're they're going gig to gig every night going for, you know, uh, uh, playing gigs for not a huge amount of financial sp- support, let's put it that way. And it's a hard road, man, and I yeah. did that and I really respect what they do and I, I kind of got lucky in that I had this group you know, there's not a lot of hockey players that do as much public speaking as I do. So I kind of rode that wave. But, you know, it's just, it's my stand-up routine, which is just hockey stories. But anyway, so this this, this second night, uh, Pete got up because Gordie Howe had just passed away. It was that summer. And this was only like a couple days later. And earlier in his career, he'd played in Detroit. So he got up and told this awesome story about going out with, with Gordy and I had to go up and follow it. It was incredible. (laughs) So not only was, hit, not only like, you know, it's, it's, it's all like, I'm talking, you know, Grant Fuhrer. Oh God, Dale, uh, Ally Frady, Wendell Clark. I'm just going down. Like it was guys like that the whole way down. Like if they weren't in the hall of fame, they were big time names. And, uh, so, but and then it was a bunch of people. You know, it was a fundraiser, so that that were given a lot of money to be at this event. So you know, they were all hockey fans, and if they were there to see this guy, they were all, uh, or this guy, they were here to see these guys and Pete Mahovlich. They were old school fans, so which I loved, but I didn't really even think about it. I'm like, yeah, yeah get out up, like, and then he goes up and kills it. His stories is just great. It's funnier than mine. It's it's more interesting, and you know it's got Gordy Howe in it. So I mean, who's going to say no? Everybody is just howling, and I had to go up, and I'm like, "Hey, is this thing on or what?" Like Pete Mahavlich, like I don't even want to speak. So I, I did like the first ten minutes. I did was just on why I don't want to follow Pete Mahovlich, but he he was such a great guy, and is, is, is um if I've ever seen someone appreciate uh, their role in the history of hockey, it was that guy. So to say that those guys had fun would probably be an understatement because they still, you know, and I've talked to other guys on the team, they still seem to talk about it like it happened yesterday type thing. And that was also part of his story.
0: <clears throat> Pete Mahavlitch, um, right today, if people don't know, is a pro scout for the Florida, Florida Panthers. And and uh, I've had a number of occasions uh, where I've sat with him in a press box around the, the well, uh, in the AHL, NHL. And uh, uh, it, I mean, the most entertaining guy you could ever sit beside. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if you want to get any work done, don't sit beside Pete Mahovlich because he's got the best stories and, and you get... And he's talking the whole game, um, and you get so engrossed in the stories that 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 you mishave the action on the ice,
1: yeah. Uh, so you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. yeah he got, he got up in the midst of that. He was in the zone at the table, like wasn't even really. I can't say supposed to, but, you know, he wasn't on the uh, on the schedule, which was great. And I was going, yeah, of course. And then he gets up and crushes it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's hilarious. Uh, But a great hockey player and uh, and and a a big part of uh, the 72 Summit Series uh, Mm -hmm. as well. Kind of a, uh, you know, again, forgotten, but played a huge role in that series.
1: Always underrated.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. and um just to just to just to to finish up it's it it was it was Ken Dryden Ken Dryden um you know he he stole games uh against Boston he stole games against Chicago and and here was this this young kid uh with um you, you know he 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 wins the, the 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 Conn Smythe in in '71, and then it's not till the next year that he goes on to win the hit the Rookie of the Year. Um, never never done because how does that happen? You know, uh, he wasn't eligible to be Rookie of the Year until the following year. Um, he was just uh, incredible, and uh, that '71 Cup doesn't doesn't happen without Ken Dryden.
1: Oh, uh, it's and And again, just picture i'm as i'm so picture again how unique the timing of it is in my mind because I was seven or eight I was born in seventy seven so that puts me at about nineteen eighty five and as I'm reading about all this, Patrick Waugh comes in and does the same thing mm-hmm. right it was it was wild, so so many of my early memories I, i'm i I didn't realize the timing that that was involved now by the time Waugh was doing it, I started to realize but but you still like. I was just coming in then, to re, you know. It's it's eighty six. I'm nine. I, I'm starting to realize what's happening. But again, they were an underdog, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, we again it, it in my mind until I'm like quite a it, it. You know, by the time I'm fourteen, I know the way hockey works, and and you know, by the time I left to play junior, like I realized the Canadians are the winningest pro team, all that stuff, all that stuff. But it was just unique because. When Wad did it in '86, again, I'm I'm, I'm just the next year, so I still am looking at the Canadians like a little bit of an underdog team. That's what I liked about them, right? My, my, it's just so warped when you look back at it. The the two particular teams that I knew, I knew everybody going around wearing these jerseys are because of all their whole history, and you know, twenty odd times on top of that that they'd won. But mine was defined by '70, '71, and '85, '86
0: it was um uh, it, it wasn't till much later uh, i i've met i've met ken dryden once in my life and and for listeners of of the canadians connection before i did this podcast my my career was in um uh, um academics it was i was i was a university administrator for years and um i was in toronto and and um uh, the chief executive for a, a college in Toronto. And, and we were building uh, a new arena. And uh, this is early 2000s. And, um, and the Leafs at that time were looking to build a new practice arena. So um, got word that the Leafs wanted to partner up with us and, and we would build this arena on our property, um, it was convenient for, for, uh, them and the players and, and, uh, um, and we'd, we'd, we'd work out some sort of sharing arrangement, cost and use and all that sort of thing. And, um, so an entourage was coming over from, from, uh, the Leafs and, um, and we were having this big this big meeting to our meeting, uh, to, to discuss the the details. Well, um, who shows up, but Ken Dryden, um, he was president of the Leafs at the time. And, uh, there I am, uh, sitting across the table from Ken Dryden. And all of a sudden I'm not any kind of academic administrator anymore. I'm a, you know, I'm a little kid. I'm a, you said seven or eight. Yeah. I'm a seven year eight or eight. I'm looking at this guy who, you know, was, uh, a, a superstar, uh, from the Canadians. And I can't, you know, I can't form a sentence sort of thing. Um, well, the meeting went okay and it was, it was fine in two hours and, and that's all a blur. But, um, <laughs> um, so his entourage Goes back to their their downtown offices, and Ken Dryden is going with his wife. is going to a fundraising event, so he doesn't go back in the van or whatever they came in uh, with them. Uh, he's got to wait for his wife to pick him up to go to this Forest Hill event, and um, so he's got some time to kill. So uh, we're, we're in the conference room, and there's there's two wingback chairs in the corner. We get him set up there. Some snacks and, a, and and a water, and I sit next to him. And for the next thirty minutes, I was in heaven. Uh, we talked hockey. Uh, he talked about talked about uh, his you know the the seventies. He talked about the the summer. He asked he asked me about you know my minor league <laughs> hockey career uh, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, and um, and it was just the best, the absolute best time of of, uh, I, w- I was back to being a fan again. He, he, he is a giant, uh, uh but what, mm. what caught me was, um, you know, he was, he was known as a pretty quiet cerebral kind of, kind of goaltender, but he was obviously a sponge just taking, well, and we saw that in, in his book, the game, he was sitting yeah, back. Was a great book. Yeah. While other guys are, are playing poker, he's making notes and, and, uh, you know, to describe the the detail, to give you a flavor of, of what was going on. And, and, uh, just, a just a great, great, um, uh, hockey player and a great, great human being.
1: Yeah, he was, um, I hope people know that story and for the being the, how he came into the league and how great he was. And the book, the game is phenomenal. Phenomenal. That's one of my, one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, as far as for those that don't know, I mean, I was a first round pick. I expected to play more NHL games. And, you know, one thing led to another. There was some circumstances without getting into all that. I remained a huge Habs fan, but I always was like a little bit disappointed. But I love a quote in there. And he mentioned it one time. So I I think I said what I just said out loud when he was in the room a couple of times. I think it was that it was at a fundraiser, a charity thing. This wasn't like in the dressing room. This was in Toronto somewhere. But I explained that, and he said, "Terry, once an NHLer, always an ex-NHLer." And I was like, "Ah, you know, it made me made me feel pretty good." And he says that's a line in in, in the game. I went back and reread it a couple times because you, it's one of those books. You, you almost want to have a highlighter or make notes. Yeah, for sure. Because you know you, you're not going to grasp it all, and I mean you'll grasp it, but there, there's so much good fodder in there that you don't want to forget. I should say.
0: So uh let's let's take a break here. Um and uh when we come back we'll 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 jump ahead. We'll we'll catch up and and let you know what happened in the uh the, the years between 71 and 76. But we're going to talk about the the 1976 uh Montreal Canadiens, the 75-76 season and uh and the makeup of of that uh uh cup winning team and uh so stick with us we'll be right back on the dynasty by decade podcast. you're listening to dynasty by decade presented by DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports use promo code thpn at sign up for exclusive offers Okay, welcome back to the uh, Dynasty by Decade podcast. Uh, my name is Rick Stevens. I'm with the Canadians Connection podcast with me, former first round pick by the Montreal Canadiens, drafted eighth overall in 1995, Terry Ryan. And uh, we're having a great time looking back at the 1970s and, and uh, uh, some of our memories of, of uh, the Montreal Canadiens from that era.
1: Yeah, now we're going to talk seventy-five, seventy-six, and uh, the first Things thing changed. I would bring up—not that—not that we got there, but remember how I said, um, Pete Mahovlich, how we just spent so much time talking about underrated once again, right? Once again, and I haven't—I haven't looked down at the stats in a long time, but because we're doing this, and yeah, one hundred and five points in eighty games. Um. You know, I guess there's no way we could talk about this season without um, talking about Guy Lafleur. And I guess I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead. Let's fill in the well, blanks. That all right? You know, let's. let's let, you you can go first.
0: Well, let's fill in the blanks. And you mentioned Guy Lafleur. Uh, we mentioned in the in the last segment that uh, 19th, after the, the cup in 1971, uh, Jean Bellevo retired. Um, and, uh, the interesting part of that is the day after he announced his retirement, the Montreal Canadiens drafted Guy Lafleur. Um, now, you know, quote unquote, uh, he was the, the replacement, uh, you, you don't replace, uh, Jean Beliveau, but that set up expectations. Um, and, and to be fair, um, uh, Guy Lafleur, you know, struggled his, his, um, First three years, but there was there was always that comparison, and part of that was because of Lafleur himself. Uh, Jean Beliveau was his idol, um, but in those in in that time since the the seventy one um, Cup, uh, Guy Lafleur was was added to the roster um, after the seventy one Cup win. Um, uh, when you move into seventy one seventy two, that was the first season. Of Scotty Bowman um, as as the head coach, Um, Scotty Bowman had been fired by the St. Louis Blues. Uh, They were an expansion team. He was their expansion team uh, coach. Um, And uh, Sam Pollock, you know, uh, there's Al McNeil. He wins. He wins uh, a Stanley Cup. Um, And uh, the following year, he's sent back to Halifax. Um, There was there was. There were some some of the, the veterans, including Henri Richard, that he wasn't getting along with very well. Uh, so his reward is to get sent back to, to Halifax. And you bring in Scotty Bowman, um, who was a protege of, of, uh, of Sam Pollock, um, and, and he was obviously one of the significant pieces, Guy Lafleur being one, Scotty Bowman being another key uh, key pieces of what would what would come later. Um, that 71-72 season uh, as I mentioned earlier, Ken Dryden becomes uh, rookie of the year, uh, outstanding season. Uh, the other thing that was kind of kind of a forgotten piece is uh, the Canadians were sold um, in that in that 71 it was the Molsons, um, uh, David and, and, and Peter and Bill, they, they gave up their control of, of the Canadians for the Bronfmans, um, who took over and, uh, and, and are credited with, with, uh, being the, the, providing the support for that, that dynasty. Um, so in that, in that, uh, 71-72 season after their their Stanley Cup. The Canadians, uh, they finished uh, third in the standings, lost to the Rangers in the first round. Uh, then comes uh, the Canada-Russia Summit Series of 72, and and you have all those Canadians that were involved. Ken Dryden was there, as I mentioned before, Cornway and Savard and LaPointe and the, and the Um And... We move forward, and and um, uh, you, you start adding guys like uh, Larry Robinson. He comes along in the 72-73 series, um, seventy four series. You have Ken Dryden. He he, he um, Now he was he was. Uh, we remember he was a, a lawyer. Uh, he studied law at Cornell. Uh, took a look at his contract and said, "I don't like this." Had a bit of a dispute and held out the '74 uh, season, uh, so the Canadians were left with Wayne Thomas and Bunny LaRock. Um, he worked at a law firm during that year, which seems bizarre when, when we talk about it now. Um, and 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 then you have uh, the first expansion team uh, to win Stanley Cups, and that is the Philadelphia Flyers. They won consecutive cups in in '74, '75. Broad Street Bullies, you, you hear that moniker? They were rugged team. They but they had skill as well. Um, and uh, y- you know uh, the the roster of of the Canadians had to had to change. Uh, Jacques Laperaire, he retired. You had uh, Frank Mahovlich going to the the rival WHA at the time. You had Bob Gainey coming in as a rookie. Young players like uh, Doug Riseborough and and Mario Tremblay brought that kind of, you know, aggressive, physical, uh, hardworking play. Steve Shutt was added in there, Uh, and and then the summer of seventy five, Henri Richard retired. So, um, all of that was kind of an upheaval and it 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 led to the season that we're going to talk about that being the 1975 um, 76 Canadians a uh, lot of changes there a uh, lot of turnover and it changed Sam Pollock completely uh, changed the complexion of what what you termed in 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 uh, the first segment the flying frenchman
1: yeah and I guess when I talked team toughness, this was probably the biggest example of any Canadians team I can think of because it wasn't, you know, the obvious, right? The the elephant in the room here, the the, the Philadelphia Flyers were, you could make an argument and I don't think a lot of people would disagree that they were. I don't know about toughest team ever, but you combine toughest with with crazy and just <laughs> wanting, you know, they're, they're the team that definitely used physicality as an asset
0: in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs.
1: More, yeah, more more than any other team that I can ever think of. Uh, hence the Broad Street Bullies. <laughs> if you haven't seen the documentary or read the book, highly recommend. But whatever team was going to beat them was going to have to be real, real tough, and not only physically but mentally because going into play there in Philadelphia wasn't easy, man. That just wasn't easy. Uh, The spectrum. Different era and, yeah, and the spectrum. I mean, it was a hard, hard deal, and uh, they did it, you know. So I know that, uh, you you know, uh, you, you look back and Guilafleur, see, he's the pitcher of... The last time I'll use it in the segment, but the flying Frenchman, right? Like the the and the no helmet and the the elegance in his look and he just so swift and and and, and what the, the speed meets skill, uh, you know, meets good looks. It was just uh, he was meant to play in Montreal at that time, and because of that look and uh, you know, and often Ken Dryden uh, was you know, a big part of the Canadians now at this point for a long time. And, you know, he was a smart guy. Uh, everybody knew that. So uh, often the first thing that when I think of, even Larry Robinson, who's one of their toughest players, I never really think of him as, because he's so good at everything else. So it's easy for that not to, to be the first thing you think of. But if you really, really think about it, and you know, Cormier shot, these guys are legends, right, that are known for scoring. But overall, they were tough. And if you go back and you can see all those highlights, uh, again, I highly recommend the Broad Street Bullies uh, documentary. There's an extension on one of them uh, when they get knocked off, right, and it shows, you know, some bloody battles. And the Canadians... (laughs) Answered the bell uh, better than any team I can really think of because it was the biggest bell to answer. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I mean, and 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 the um, yeah the, the 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 Flyers could goon it up. I mean, they were rugged. They were they were tough. They were punishing. It was it was Dave Schultz and and uh, Donny and and Bob Kelly and. Um, Ed Van Imp and, and, and those guys but on the other side they had skill well, to go think, along think, with
1: well, think, and, and just think about Bobby Clark okay like he well, you can make an argument he's their captain he's their leader he's their best player I think but you can make an argument you know and, and what does he do I mean he, it he's known for, you know, scoring, but he's also known for cracking his stick. Or Was it Karlamov? Was that the guy on Russia?
0: Karlamov in the 72 Her, yeah. series. Yeah, broke his yeah, ankle. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, he, he, he's... And you look back at a lot of those highlights, he's going to the net. I mean, he he's spearing the goalie. They, <laughs> it would be a spearing penalty now. He got a lot of goals from, like, spearing at the pads, and I'm going, wow, these guys are... Tough anyway, keep going. I cut you off, sir. No,
0: that was and 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 uh, Clark is kind of the, the the guy, you know, if you if you looked at the the uh tough players they have, if you look at the skill players like uh Rick McLeish or 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 mm. uh, Bill Barber or Reggie Leach, it, it was Clark that that kind of spanned both sides, right? He he had mm. both, um. And a master with his, much like uh, Placanitz, who who always seemed to get away with those those uh, those sticks behind the play. But uh, Bobby Clark was just he he carved people up with his stick. Um, and then I mean, I mean with all of this going on, you you had to uh, there was all kinds of penalty minutes being uh, being uh, uh, accumulated. And so you had to have a pretty good guy in goal, and that was Bernie Perrant, um, who, who was integral in, in those two, in the 75-76, uh, or sorry, 74-75 Cup uh, from the, the Philadelphia Flyers. They, they, were, they were just a team that, that dominated and intimidated uh, other teams, particularly when you go into the, the, the spectrum and Kate Smith singing and, and that whole um, uh, theater uh, environment. Um, it was um, the Broad Street Bullies earned that, that label. Um, and, and as a result, uh, Sam Pollock had to do something to counter that.
1: Yeah. And because of that, right. Whoever was going to beat that team was going to have to be a real mix of skill and toughness. Like there was whoever it was going to have to be. And, I think doing that, also because that was the beginning of another run, right? And 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 something, you know, you you had to be warriors for that series. I think that definitely helped for the future years. And I mean, guys like well, guys like Bob Gainey were starting out. Bob Gainey, you know, th- he played in the '86 Cup. They don't win it without him. He's 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 got two separated shoulders. Uh, you know, he learned how to play tough. Like, think of if you went through that series and you saw that and you were a young player, it, it would have been like, where do we go from here? You Nothing else is ever going to intimidate me again. I just went into the lion's den, stole the stake on the lion and won the hockey's biggest prize. You know, how are we going to build here? So anybody coming along was, was, you know, Larry Robinson. I'm talking about guys that spilled over in the eighties and, I mean even guys you don't even think about Doug Ricebrow like you know young players start coming up and learning from them you know which I think had every bit to do with you know uh, their their not only their dynasty but uh, you know cuz they didn't win then from when well, i guess 78 79, 86 but you know they they were on the map and in that time i'm just fascinated with the 86 right because Waugh came in no, that' not what we're talking about. But Ganey was their captain. And Ganey was a spillover from the 70s. And Robinson and these guys had come through. And the Islanders and the Oilers had come on. But they still, they, they stuck with it. They stuck with it. And I think had they not gone through those experiences in the 70s, that that wouldn't have happened.
0: Well, talking about Bob Ganey, you remember that it was, um, I don't remember who it was, but it was, it, I think it was the coach of of the Russian um, team in 1976 who said that Bob Gainey was the most complete hockey player in the world that they had ever seen. Uh, Bob Gainey. Uh, you look at the, the the makeups of like the 72 team and the and uh, during '76 when they did that when the Central Red Army came over and the Russians are saying Bob Gainey out of everybody is the most complete hockey player. They had ever seen, and so yeah, Ganey, you know, Sam Pollock had to had to build this this team that could go toe to toe with with the Flyers, um, and he built a team that that ended having up a that began uh, with a seventy six Cup, but went on and won four Cups in a row. Uh, it was a dynasty. It was it was a masterpiece by the architect Sam Pollock. Uh, it was a dominant team, and it had both. As you mentioned, the Guy Lafleur's, the skill, the Steve Shuts, the the Jacques Lemaires, uh, but on the other end, it was it was Larry Robinson who's going to punish you, and Doug Risebrow, and Mario Tremblay, Bob Ganey played physical himself, and also the you know uh, Pierre Bouchard and Rick Chartra and and um, I. I you know, Sam Pollock knew what he was doing because um, it was the beginning of that that seventy five seventy six um, season. There was an exhibition game, an exhibition game between uh, the Flyers and the Canadians. And um, in the lineup, they had t- tough guys like uh, Glenn goldup and and uh, Rick Chartra. They came up from the minor. well, in 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 exhibition season, you've got a a, a bigger roster than usual. Um, and I think it, it was Sam Pollock and and Scotty Bowman that were were sending a message to these these uh, Broad Street bullies who had just won two Stanley Cups uh, in a row uh, that we're not going to be intimidated. It was uh, in that exhibition game. It was um Dougie Risebro that went went after Bobby Clark, and uh, they were mixing it up. And uh, Bobby Clark reportedly said to, um, uh, Riceboro, uh, you know, we play, I think it was the second or third game of the season, um, in Montreal. He said, I'll see you, you know, we'll, we'll settle this, um, in, in the, whenever it was second or third game of the season. And Dougie rise said, well, why don't we do it right here? Um, and, <laughs> and went after him, uh, cut Clark for 10 stitches. There was, I don't know how many fights, how many, and, and, but the Canadians uh, showed right from the exhibition season uh, that this was going to be different. This was going to be a different Canadians team, that they were going to uh, not allow, not be intimidated by the Broad Street Bullies and not allow uh, them to to push them uh, around like they had had done with uh, with previous Canadians teams.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I just mentioned Liam Maguire, and he told that exact story on my podcast last oh, yeah? week. Yeah, you told that exact story and uh, to be honest with you, I was unaware. I didn't well, no no no. I, I was aware it happened. I didn't realize the exhibition part of that story. Which is amazing if you if you Yeah. If you I, think about, you know, how much that they were aware of each other and how much <laughs> you know that that you had a hate on for the other team. I'm sure they respect each other now, but you know, to to uh, to be that fired up
0: At, in the exhibitions uh, yeah you're yeah, in training but, camp
1: but again what does it speak to why were both those teams i know we're talking about the 75 76 Habs for the most part but you know the what what the Flyers have like if if there were any teams in the history of hockey that would kind of be fired up in exhibition i would think it would be those guys you know they they um i mean what a bunch of competitors, right? It, it, it must have been a nightmare. Well, my dad often says, you know, so dad's not, you know, I'm I'm a little bit bigger. Dad, dad was 5'9". His first year junior won but he was 5'9", 170 he played at. And he had um, 49 goals this last year. Junior was it 49, 51. 49, 49. Mm. And uh, went to the WHA in 72-73 and led the league in shorthanded goals. Um, so he, he was fairly successful. He was drafted in the 44th overall in both leagues. He went to Minnesota North Stars, but he, he chose the WHA. I don't know if we would have made the North Stars, but he, he might have. Like, he, he, he just didn't go to their camp because the WHA offered him a contract. So, but anyway, he, he you know, he tried to get back, and a couple times he made it real close. He got sent down, and he... Uh, he used hockey to get his degree. So Deb was done at 25, I believe. But, but he often says that to me. He's like, you know, I was coming in and not that I'm scared, but he goes, man, like you realize it's the worst possible time in the history of hockey that I could have come in. He's like the the worst possible time, Five nine one seventy bullet skater. Right. I mean, he'd defend himself, but he's like, you know, I couldn't be part of the offense or the, you know, initiate anything physically and it wasn't in his nature really. So like, you know, I, I often have that indirect kind of bird's eye view because he, he tells me all about it. When you go back and look, um, in some ways, in some ways, one that didn't like fighting, I mean, I'm, In the middle. I don't think it should be like that, but I like it. It's part of the game, whatever, without getting into that, because that argument is a dead horse now everywhere. It's beaten to death, but I, you know, you could say that that Habs team really, if not saved hockey, but really helped it (laughs) because they had finesse. So, you know, and then Gretzky came in and it became after that a little bit of a happy medium. But, you know, Gretzky talks about how much he loved watching Lafleur. So, you know, the, the, the influences on Montreal took hockey. Like, Philip Philly was taking it into an almost criminal direction. I mean, it's great to look back. And it, for the history of hockey and everything, it's awesome that we had that era. And what a great documentary it, it really is in the mid-'70s. You know, you really, I, I, looking back, I don't want to judge anything looking back. It was a different time. But, you know, you couldn't keep going. If they kept winning, and you know, who knows where it would have gone. But... The Habs had the toughness, but, you know, the goal was still to be hockey players here. And, and, and we're you know, we're going to be the better team and, and pass it around. And skill was still really celebrated. It didn't really ever become uncelebrated. So, you know, they took that. And even though Mike Bossy and Wayne Gretzky and, and Yari Curry and those kind of guys picked up and carried the torch, Mario Lemieux, I mean, Lemieux, think about that. He was, had, to, had to watch the Canadians growing up. So... You know they. I think they kept the plane steady. You know, it was going for, it was going in a rough direction. There was a lot of turbulence here coming in in the seventies. Like, where are we going to go with this? But uh, I think they really, you know, they kept the car on the road, so to speak. And and uh, I will never go as far as to say saved hockey, but definitely kept it on a path of you know that being a celebrated finesse player who didn't really have to fight could still be in the description of uh in your job description sorry T-
0: Terry th- that's an excellent point and and you know you, you need to, to you you need that context to go back to to this discussion because um what would have happened if the flyers had won three straight cups uh with a team that was known for Goonery, the, the NHL would have changed completely. Um, yeah, and, and,
1: or, or imagine if the team that beat them was even tougher. Oh, there they you go. Ch- you know, like if the, the team could have beaten them with exactly what they, and then it would have gone into that direction. I think, but you know, it just so happens that yes, the Canadians were tough, but thank God they had Guy Fleur. Thank God they had a Von Cormier, right? It could have been a team full of, you know, in relative terms the you know, kids at the time, it could have been like Bob Probert, Tony twist, Colton or like, you could have been a team full of those kind of guys. And again, I'm not, I don't want to argue one way or the other. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that it, it you know, not only did the team that beat them have toughness being the Canadians, but you know some of the most finesse players, skilled players ever, which was great.
0: Well, it was after the the uh, the, the cup win in '76 that that uh, Bobby Clark said that uh, the Canadians were the toughest team that they had faced, and it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't tough guys. It was it was it was team toughness. It was, um, uh, you know, and you you mentioned it was interesting that you mentioned the word you know approaching. Uh, criminal, um, because it was in the lead up to that that '76 final that the the Flyers met uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and uh, in Toronto uh, that that it was the Flyers uh, that got involved in in a dust up with with some of the fans, um, and there was arrests. <laughs> Don Selesky. Uh, yeah. Joe Watson, Dave Schultz, Bob Kelly were all charged by police with assault. I mean this this is what happened. Uh, the, the, the 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 team was um, it was known for Gooner and and uh, uh, we we talked about the the seventy two uh, we mentioned the seventy two summit series, but there was that that traveling group in the 75 76 series leading up to the 76 cup that uh the central red army came over and played yeah. eight game eight games i think um and one of the and and on the montreal Canadian side it's it's talked about as one of the greatest games ever played the new year's eve game 1975 yeah. Three three tie. Uh, the shots were ridiculous. Uh, Treciak, Treciak was outstanding, um, but people forget that 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 same team, the the Central Red Army, then in the first two weeks of January, went into uh, Philadelphia, and um, I, I don't think there they quit, was the didn't they? Well, that's that's just it. I, I don't think the 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 Russians had lost up till that point. They had tied with the Canadians. But they went in and um, yeah, the flyers were were just pasting the the Russians at every turn. And um, it was like halfway through the first period. That Ed Van Impe, who I mentioned before, uh, just a blindside elbow to the head of yeah, yeah. Of, of Valerie Har- Harlamov. And Harlamov's the same guy that... that oh, uh, yeah.
1: He must was, have just hated this. Yeah. He exactly. He must have hated Canadian or North American hockey.
0: So at that point, and and uh, the Russians walked off, walked off. They said, that's it. We're not playing the game. They went to their dressing room, said, that's it. Um, we're We're done. We're not, this is goonery. We're not going to be involved. And um, it was Alan Eagleson, not held in high regard these days uh, for his role at the NHLPA, but uh, it was Alan Eagleson that, um, you know, Ed Schneider, owner of the, the, the Flyers, and, and everybody's gathering this brain trust, how we're going to get the Russians back on, on the ice. And Alan Eagleson said, well, did we pay them yet? Um, and said no. And uh, the Russians were due um, $25,000 a game. They yeah. hadn't been paid for any of the games. You know, eight times 25000 in in 1976, particularly for Russian, it's big money. A lot of coin. So uh, they were told, the Russians were told, if you don't go back to the ice, you're not getting a dime. Um, And they returned and just kind of went through the motions. The Flyers won four to one. Um, but, but just to put into context, how, how violent, uh, this, this Flyers team was of the time, um, you know, both, both in the, the being charged by police in Toronto and, and this, this, uh, this game with the Russians.
1: Well, that it ins- literally all that and being arrested and, and seeming tougher because of that, that all was the inspiration for Slapshot, the movie all yeah, of it yeah you know like that that directly if it wasn't for that and you can follow it right into the arrests it happens in the movie and they take the quote right from the i can't remember who said it on the flyers but yes, yeah, so, it you know it makes us seem a little bit tougher so what are they going to do you know it's happened let's put it in the past if anything we're tougher and anyway they're pretty much the same message and they in Slapshot and the chiefs start you know they, they, a couple of arrests. They beat up their bus. They're going out. You know, they're they're brawling everybody. It was a direct inspiration from the uh, Broad Street Bullies. Um, but, and here's what what the things that I love about how the Canadians came back and and how it wasn't as obvious, but it's as tough. And there's one of those games. I don't know. Like there's so many. I said there's some footage from seventy seventy one. Well you know, each year, even to this day, each year, like, you know, there's more and more and more info and more video, and, well, it starts to be like that. Whoever it was in the mid-'70s or whatever, I don't know if more games were recorded, but you start to see documentaries and things like that, and and there's more and more footage. So I don't even know if it's the 75-76 series. I I could lie and say I do, but I don't know. But there's, I, I think it is, but they're showing the Habs plan, uh, in the playoffs, and Robinson, and, and his scores say three to nothing, right? And it's a nothing play. I don't even know if anybody would notice it, but he goes down and blocks the shot like you would today, or, or like Craig, Craig Ludwig, you know, used to block a lot of shots when no one was really doing it. Well, think about it. It's the 70s. Dude, the gear sucks. You're not going to be blocking a shot if you don't have to, and it was the end of the game. But First thing noted, I'm, I'm like, oh, he's he's making sure that Dryden gets the shutout, you know? There's only like two seconds left. And I'm like, that's team tough. That, right yeah. there. Like the puck coming out, getting down to block a shot with like no gear on, not like it is now. And even now it would be tough because the shots are coming harder. But whatever the case, I'm saying like that, wow, like they care about each other. He's doing that because he doesn't want the puck to go in to make it 3-1. to one. They're still going to win. He just wants Dryden to get the shutout, or I'm assuming Dryden was in. Um, but, you know, and, and things like that, when you start seeing that, and maybe it's because I do some scouting and coaching here and there, but when I played, I didn't even notice it as much because it's just part of you, it's what you're doing. But guys that do that, you look them back, you're like, wow, you know, like they really care when you start to see T, and you start to see guys finishing hits that don't normally do it, and that was certainly the case. Uh, then, you know, what what that shows is that there's an overall feeling. It's just, you know, no one even really has to say it, but we're all going to do whatever we have to do. It goes without saying. So we don't even need to tell each other 110%. We don't have to go, let's work hard. That's all a given. Let's just go out and win, right? And and you can see it take place. And more than any team that, again, that I can remember because the odds were stacked so highly in the physical category it would have been that canadians team that responded well you know
0: it was it was a remarkable team that that uh, pollock put together uh you had that mix of of toughness you had gila Lafleur scoring in the season scoring 56 goals you had steve Shutt 45 goals uh pete mojavich 105 points uh that was that was essentially the uh, the top line and, uh, you know, Canadians finishing uh, first overall. Um, and then in, in, it was three rounds of playoffs in those years, they, the Canadians swept the Blackhawks four games to nothing. The second round, they beat the Islanders four games to one and then swept the Philadelphia Flyers. So we're losing one game in, in that playoff season and, and, uh, and particularly against the Flyers. And, and we said before uh, about um, you know, th- you said how how it might have changed and and it was Larry Robinson that w- was quoted afterwards saying uh, the whole league wanted us to win because they knew they knew afterwards um, you know how it how it might have been it might have been uh, quite different um, for the Flyers. I mean, if you if you if you talk to the Flyers, uh, you, you listen to to what the Flyers said about that series. Um you know, they didn't have Bernie Perrant. Bernie Perrant was uh had a back injury and 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 was injured. They had Wayne Stevenson who, you know, um uh, competent kind of goalie, but but not a Bernie Perrant. Um Rick McLeish, uh was out, uh um injured knee, but um but still it was it was the Canadians who who went in and and who um you know, just came together as a team, and they talked about how how tight they were. Um,
1: yeah, everybody gets injuries, and I, I you know, they, they had injuries the year before. Yeah, and no one beat them. You know, so I I understand that. It, I guess it it possibly made the road slightly easier not to have. No, that's a bad way to put it. Not as overwhelmingly difficult with, with Perrant out, but still. I mean, you know, we just talked about Ken Dryden in 71. We figured out, He figured out a way to make it work. No one even knew that was going to happen. People get a chance to shine. It's part of your organization. You're playing. I'm sure the Canadians had bumps and bruises. Uh, only to respond to that, because I've often heard that too. But looking back and just looking at the battles take place in real time, uh you know and it's there's lots of footage um there's not enough I I would even throw him a bone if there was like four or five more like I, I think the Montreal Canadiens of 2021 of a case you know four <laughs> of their top players out but yeah you know one or two guys That that happens
0: yeah and um you know it was it was I think the other part of that, the the, the Canadians had had uh, the scoring machine up front, they had uh, some toughness, but it was also Scotty Bowman built that team on good goaltending and, and strong defense. Uh, Bob Ganey, you have Bob Gainey and you have Doug Jarvis in the in the same um, lineup. You've got um, a line that Scotty would send out to just shut down the other team. Bob Gainey, Doug Jarvis, Jimmy Roberts, uh, just a tough as nail kind of guy. Uh, and and it was Scotty e- emphasizing this th- defensive system, and and each of the games, the the Canadians swept, uh, but each of the games was a uh, 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 one goal game, other than game four, which they got a, a late insurance goal. But um, y- you know it was it was, and even when they were down, the game one they were down. Uh, Reggie Leach scored 21 seconds in. Ross Lonsbury made it uh, two nothing, uh, but then the Canadians had the firepower to come back tie it up and and play those those tight games um getting getting uh, offense from the back end gila point was was pretty key in that series um game three dryden was just unbelievable and and shut down the flyers and uh game four it was pete mohovlich setting up the game winner uh by gila Flor and then and then scoring the insurance goal so uh, this was a uh, uh, you know uh, a a pretty complete team and um, the kind of team that, that more or less stayed intact uh, the the next year. And, and that was the, it was the, the 76 77 series uh, season that addition uh, of the Canadians that set that record, 60 yeah. wins, eight losses, uh, 12 ties, unbelievable record that, that they could go through the season with just uh, eight losses. Um but it was it was built on the foundation of that seventy five seventy six team, which um, which deserves to re- be remembered as as a team that, as you said, turned turned the face of, of the NHL, and then set the stage for four consecutive cups by the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Well, I tell you, it's as a Canadiens fan. Um. You know, I was born in 1977, so I guess I'm telling you the stories I did. as a, How can I put this? As a young hockey player, it was always in the back of my mind. My dad put it there a lot, too. But one of the reasons that he, he really enjoyed watching the Habs and uh, I, I, I get, they were always associated with professionalism. Mm -hmm. and class and I think that's what mesmerized him when he first left told you he left the Habs fan then he played against some of them and you know you got to meet them and play in the forum and he had this overwhelming sense of professionalism like when you meet Jean Beliveau it it was again, not that I knew him really well I met him a few times I heard him speak I saw him in a room um I didn't open my mouth but um And there was that kind of sense, and I think he's a good representation of everybody during that era with the Habs, that you think of all those idols, like they never really, they they didn't seem flawed. And in in that, even now, with social media, there adds some level of, I don't know what the word is, that some... uh, they're fallible, or or like you you can you, it's possible they're they're not really superheroes. I, I can just send them a message on Twitter. Those guys, <laughs> it was just like you know, like they just had this presence. Yeah. And until, you know, the, like the first day I walked into camp in the Montreal Forum, I'm walking in, you know, and and you start seeing people around the room. It, it, it's it it just seemed that they they were godlike, and and for every. Win and uh, all these stories that we're talking about—you know—they all conducted themselves well off the ice, and they all lived up to that legendary kind of status. And and I've I've always, well, always find that found that amazing. Um, that my favorite band is the Beatles. People's like, well, I wish they kept going, and I'm like, I, I don't know, like just every, in that little, what if they did like, you know, it, it would have been, and who knows how did four of them go through. And like, after that, you know, I had, they had brush ins with the law here and there, and it was mostly opinionated and taking a stance or, but, you know, for them remained fairly, you know, respectable, but, you know, they didn't let us down kind of thing. And I'm, I'm so happy for that. And, and, and it comes to Montreal Canadians, like exactly the my, my, huge people like fit that carried the torch that I actually got to see for a little bit with my own eyes and be a part of for three years, you know? Um, and then to meet them all and almost they were all, I'm, I'm talking Bob Ganey, um, to, to Bellevue, to Lafleur, all of them, you know, they, they just lived up to that hero status. And that also should be celebrated and kind of, it, it it's. It, I won't say that's lost in the past, or it's it's an underrated attribute that all those ex Habs bring, but it's just so obvious that you almost forget, right? You you almost forget how they all passed the torch. They all went back and did like charitable work mm-hmm. around Montreal. They all signed autographs. Their their interviews. They didn't ever go on and like make some controversial statement. Well. I'm sure here and there, but not you know, not in the way that some people do today on Twitter to make a statement. They never acted like they were bigger than the team. They never came out and said, "Well, I, I, I." It was always we. Even though they were all legends and a lot of them were Hall of Famers, I just find it, it looking back. I mean, how can you not be a fan if you were? To, I I get how you could cheer for another team, but. I wouldn't ever question a Canadian span and how they get there. You know, like, look what, look who's there to to look up to. All these people that are professional, legendary, and the some of the best hockey players you'll ever come across. And to boot, they won. You know.
0: Yeah, it, it's 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 funny you say that. It reminds me that um, it was the mid '90s, uh, and at that time, I was living in in Winnipeg. And it was a Saturday afternoon, and um, I was heading over to Polo Park, uh, the, the shopping mall, and uh, came in the Eaton's entrance, entrance, and there was a sign, uh, like on a tri- tripod kind of thing. And it said, um, and this was like I don't know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and it said 3 o'clock um, at the bookstore in the mall, John Beliveau, uh, would be there signing uh, his book, My Life in Hockey. And um goes, okay, John Bellowell, that's, wow. Um, and, uh, but this was, this was two hours earlier, uh, through Eaton's out into the mall and um, passing the bookstore. And I glanced over in the corner of my eye. Um, there's a, there's a table set out uh, in, in the mall in front of the store uh, but it's not set up, and there's like a sign turned over, and there's a, a tablecloth sitting there, um, so it, you know, um, not not ready, not nothing. And standing next to the table is John Beliveau. Um and you know, it was like there was, uh, for me, a Canadian is is like he he had a halo, and and there was organ music in the background. It was just like, is he real kind of thing, you know. Um, and nervous as I was, and and listen, I, being, um, once I've gotten into hockey, I've, I've, I've met, you know, uh, fortunately, very fortunate to have met all of my, um, hockey heroes and, uh, Saku Koibu and Ken Dryden and, but there was Jean Beliveau, who's kind of in a, a whole different league. Um, and I walked up to him and i was shaking and um mr bellavo and um you know all of a sudden the halo and the the organ music disappear and he was he was the nicest friendliest guy that you know um and we we chatted for for 15 minutes um and he asked me questions about you know family and where i was from and how i became a canadian just genuine just a genuinely nice person um and and i you know i'll never forget reaching my hand out to shake his hand and just an absolute most crushing handshake i've ever had in my entire life he just these big hands and just crushed your uh your hand and it was um yeah and i i went into the bookstore bought the book and and had him sign it and i had my own moment before you know Uh, presumably at three o'clock, there was, there was a line around the the mall to see him. Um, It was, it was fortunate timing, but um, him being uh, more than a legend, him being a nice person, a gentleman, a a classy guy uh, stuck with me more. And, and it fits exactly with what you said about these guys were, you know, they, 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 they knew what their role was. They, they, they were ambassadors of, of a great history, a great dynasty.
1: Well, I'll tell you a um, couple things. First of all, when I first got drafted to Montreal, it was July 8th, 95. And they were like, you know, you can come in early if you want and practice. I'm like, well, what do you mean early? And So I was like, early? Like, early? Like, I'll come now. They're like no, it, You know, because I just wanted to be part of this. So myself and Brad Brown, who was the first round pick the year before, we went up like I probably like it was the first week in August would have been the latest. If not, it was still July. And they just made the rink open to us so we could go in and skate, whatever. But those guys, those legends were going on a softball tour. They used to go and play like softball in towns all over Quebec. Yeah. And I I got the jersey. It's actually hanging on my wall. It's it's got like Ryan 14. It's the Canadian softball jersey. (laughs) And we were going with like, and here in Guilafleur, and again, Cormier, Shutt, Le Perrier, they ended up being my assistant coaches, but I didn't really realize that at the time. We were just going, you know, they were at the rink, but so was everybody. And they hadn't started coming on with us. This was the summertime. So we went on and we played like maybe a dozen, at least a dozen of these softball games. So we were hearing these stories firsthand. It was wild. So again, not that I was young, really nervous to even be around. Like I, I, you know, I remember I'm not kidding you here. Brad Brown, he was so nervous. He struck out. We were playing slow pitch for charity and he, (laughs) you know, we, we both play baseball in the summer. And he was so, he, And he, I remember like, I remember my hands were sweating and I don't sweat that much, sweating on the bat. And I remember he, he him telling me and one one, two, three, I knew when he swinging, I knew, I knew when he swung at <laughs> the second one. I said, he's going down for sure because <laughs> everybody's looking. They're like, this isn't really going to happen. Oh man, it was so embarrassing for him. But I know why. We were so intimidated. Now I'll tell you, but in a good way. But, a lot of... One thing that a lot of people don't think about and they definitely don't realize... Um, I, I actually got to go after this, Rick. I, I got five minutes if that's all right. Um, so... Yeah. Um, I... Because uh, we, 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 there's a great chat, actually. We've been going almost two hours. But I got to th- explain this. So I say I got drafted. For example, on my junior hockey team, three of us went in the first round. It was a lot of good fortune that doesn't normally happen, but I can directly, I had two people to go through that whole experience with Damon Lankow went fifth. I went eighth. We were line mates and our goalie, Brian Boucher went 21st, maybe 22nd, but he went, he went in the first round. So the whole year, you know, we were leading up to it and, you know, we had, when we had about four or five other guys get drafted in the second to the seventh rounds. So we were a young team. Um, now, it's fortunate I had all those guys to go through that journey with because I'm not sure how that would have seemed on its own. It was just really odd from coming in and having um, central scouting, take your height and weight, and, and, and then, you know, do these interviews with NHL teams to seeing your name pop up in the hockey news. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, you're still, like, playing Nintendo. You can't really – you just started driving. Like, it, it's hard to – like, all this happens – Is it's a whirlwind. It happens overnight. So – Um, you know, it's just so early in hockey if you go the junior route. So we had that together. But I remember once we went to camp, so we were still talking, you know, we're calling each other on the cell phones. How's it all going? And what our journey again with the Tri-City was fairly similar with Tri-City Americans because we're rated, we're, we're all playing together as we go. But once we went to pro, Lanx goes to Tampa. So I'm just talking, say, in the first camp. So, Tampa, you know, he gets off the plane. No one even really knows who he is, but that's fine. I'm not saying I'm saying in the organization they did, but but you know, I I get off in Montreal and there's reporters there right away. So, but but that might seem obvious, right? And so, and some people, I assume Stamkos likes Tampa more for that reason. Um, you know, guys like uh, Brendan Gallagher clearly enjoy feeding off the energy in Montreal, and it didn't bother me to be honest, but. I, I've never heard a lot of people like the first round picks in Montreal. Some of my great great buddies, um, Matt Higgins. I mean, I was buddies with Koivu, but you know, but Matt Higgins, Brad Brown, mm-hmm. uh, myself, even Aaron Asham, uh, third round. So a bunch of us came through. Tucker, uh, sixth round, but you know, a high prospect. So we came through together. And I'm like, does anybody realize what it's like to play here? Like, I'm like, we were going out at the Forum, and then you know, the first year I went through campus, the Forum. There's no glass behind the bench. So I'm coming out and like, I'm talking like rocket Richard and shit. Like people are, I'm going, wow. Like same practice. Like Jean Beliveau would be there routinely with his wife often. And, uh, you know, not that I knew these guys real well, but it's just the weirdest, because the alumni room in Montreal, like, Lanks went to Tampa in 95. They'd only had a team for four years. So the alumni room is a bunch of guys that are 25, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe the odd guy that played a little bit longer, that has like two years with the Tampa Bay Lightning. But with the Canadians, they'd won so much, and before all that glass went up in the 2000s it was wild cuz the owner would sit right behind the bench uh, and then the the all the some of the like pro scouts but all these players that were also like pro scouts and everything else but they had this huge like there was 30 of them that would mm-hmm. come and they'd be so you, You couldn't help not to feel judged by like the best players, not only on the Canadians, but in the history of hockey, literally in the history of the game, going back over a hundred years, I had some of the biggest influences that I'm going to open a book that night and read about that are right behind me so close that I can like literally hear them eating and drinking. (laughs) (laughs) It was wild. I always found it wild. So it was so great that they lived up to expectation and none of them got on like jerks. Again, I was mesmerized to be in this situation and I'm certainly not complaining. I could see, you know, don't don't blame my lack of games played on any of that. I I, I didn't mind that I thrived on it. Um, but I could see how that might, might seem overwhelming to some people, you know? Like, it was wild. It was overwhelming to me in a good way. Like, I was just like, I felt, going to bed every night, I was just like, oh man, like, this is unbelievable. Like, I'm going to get up and have coffee and I'm going to go down and... Take my stick with Gila Fleur. Like, this is nuts, you know? Whereas Lanks was down in Tampa meeting, like, Chris Grattan, who was, like, a pick in 92, and he was, like, a legend in three years. <laughs> or you had, you had Brian Boucher in Philly, which was somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. Because Philly had a lot of legends, but they don't all necessarily live in Philadelphia. They're not – a lot of them aren't from there. They had a great history, you know, but starting in the 70s, whereas the Canadians, <laughs> you know – they still had guys coming that had won cups in, like, the 40s. It was wild. Anyway, great experience, and uh, definitely all it did when I went there was my fandom just grew, <laughs> you know? It's not like it didn't ever become normal.
0: Well, that that no glass behind the bench kind of um, <clears throat> came into play with Patrick Waugh when he uh, yeah. <laughs> mentioned that he didn't want to play for the Canadians anymore. Listen, this is... Um, uh, wh- that was
1: after that year, actually. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. That was So I was 18. So r- that was right before that happened was the summer I just told you about.
0: That's terrific. Anyway, so Great sorry, story. Go um, we're going to pause right there for our, our final break, and we'll be back with our uh, final thoughts uh, right after this. Uh, this is the Dynasty by Decade podcast, uh, brought to you by DraftKings.
1: You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings. Use promo code THPN for sign-up bonuses and
0: weekly deals. DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. And, and we'll just um, kind of share our final thoughts here as, as we wrap this up. And, and I should say, you know, this was, you mentioned the Canadians won the Cup in 86 and 93. This, this was the last of the, the Canadians' uh, dynasties, winning four Cups uh, in a row to end the 1970s, um, and when you look over that decade, um, it was it was the the names that stand out: um, Scotty Bowman, Sam Pollock, uh, the architect, uh, but Ken Dryden um, was was key. And um, I, I just pulled a clip. Uh, just we we talked about the Boston Bruins. We talked about uh, Phil Esposito and his goal scoring prowess. Um, here's what he said about uh, Ken Dryden and the reason uh, that the Boston Bruins, the, the great Boston Bruins team, uh, was uh, upset by the Canadiens.
1: There is one guy that stands out in my mind as the reason for the Bruins losing the first round of the playoffs. It has to be Ken Dryden.
0: Has to be Ken Dryden. So Ken Dryden, uh, one of many. I mean, you, you don't win with one player. Uh, as we've explained, it it required a, a, a it required skill, it required toughness, it required defense, and and obviously goaltending. But but Ken Dryden standing out um, in that decade. Uh, Terry, I'll give you the floor um, uh, for your uh, final comments.
1: huh well, I suppose if if I could recommend anything to a not only a canadians fan but a hockey fan um if i could suggest anything about those teams is that uh there there's there's a lot of layers to them like an onion they're uh Mm -hmm. on the surface like me you might look back and even now the first thing that pops into my head is uh the finesse and the skill and the speed and the you know the the typical Montreal Canadiens highlight goal, you know. But if you look further, and you, you actually watch the footage, you'll see a lot of block shots, a lot of scrums after the whistle, a lot of determination, a lot of guys picking up for each other, and a unit. You'll see a unit, no matter what. You you win together and you lose together, and even in some of the losses, you can tell that they you know they're not down and out. Um it's merely a setback in uh, an otherwise journey towards victory. And I think they all believe that. Confidence would be another theme. Uh you don't go into Philadelphia. Now there was lots of other teams, I guess. So let let's 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 say you don't go into Chicago with Bobby Hull and Makita and company um if, if, if you don't have some level of confidence and believe in yourselves, and I think that's easy to do when you have a team that's tough, that sticks up for each other, then at the same time you become confident because, at least in my mind, it's easier to be confident as a group. I can always look at myself and, you know, I, I look at these things I told you about stand-up comedy or, or even having a podcast. It's up to me and, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit nervous because... I could screw up now, you know, that's, that depends how you harness your energy. But, but what I'm saying is that whenever I've been on teams that have, have won in situations, I haven't got a Stanley cup, but I've got a couple of ball hockey world championships. I have a minor league hockey championships and it, it, the nerves go from a personal kind of nervous to an overall excitement when you're on a team that can do it mm-hmm. because You know that it takes all the cogs in the wheel and, you know, you're confident you can do your own part. It's not such a personal journey. It becomes a lot more fun when it's a group. And I think all of that is on display when you watch pretty much any 70s Montreal Canadiens teams, but definitely the ones we talked about.
0: Terry, this has been uh, a thrill. I've really enjoyed uh, r- going back and looking at uh, this decade, uh, the Dynasty by Decade podcast here, put together, uh, presented by DraftKings, put together by the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, they brought together um, yourself. Um, your podcast is is Tales with Tr. Uh, you can find it uh, on the dot um, Find you on Twitter at Terry Ryan twenty. Um, and, uh, just a reminder that, uh, that my podcast, um, also done with a, a Newfoundlander, uh, Joseph Whalen is my co-host from, uh, Petty Harbor, um, that, uh, you can find, uh, the Canadians connection, canadiansconnection.com. You can find me on Twitter at all Habs and, uh, find the hockey podcast, Net, podcast network as at, uh, at hockeypodnet. Uh, this has been uh, the Dynasty by Decade uh, podcast. T- uh, Terry, This is uh, thanks very much and uh, really appreciate uh, all your your stories and, and uh, your insight.
1: Thanks. I really appreciate it. It was uh, fun, I would say, catching up, but I guess uh, we're starting out. But it was fun talking. Um, my book, my latest book, I guess I'll, I'll mention, is Tales with TR Fights Film and Folklore. Uh, Thanks for mentioning my podcast. Um, If you want to follow along about either or you want a personalized book, uh, you can DM me at or send me a message at Terry Ryan 2020 at gmail.com or on Instagram. I'm Terry Ryan 2020. And a lot of my book orders and uh, my podcast visuals are on those platforms. Uh, But thanks a lot for having me here, Rick. I really appreciate it. And I really did have fun. I always have fun talking about the Habs, but this was extra special.
0: Thanks again, uh, Terry. And uh, thank you, uh, our listeners, for uh, uh, joining us on the Dynasty by Decade podcast presented by DraftKings.